Welcome to English Lit Pod. A place where we show you what English, both lit and lang, really is. Join us in our discussions about the meanings of words, the representations we create, the connotations and denotations. Delve into the importance of literature, the power of narratives and the strength of words. And, most importantly, discover that English is more than just a boring textbook. It really is lit. So welcome to our second episode of the English podcast. I hope you enjoyed the first one and it gave you some insight and a bit of thought about what you could do with English and why you most definitely should choose it for A-level. Um, we are going to what will become our more regular format today. So we are going to be looking at representation um, in the literature, in the media, using both our literature and language kind of heads as it were. So we thought that one of the best ways to do this would be to have a kind of statement that we sort of argue and discuss as we go along. So the statement for today's episode is going to be, if the role of language is to reflect the human condition, what picture have we painted of humanity? Mm. (laughs) So before we start, I'm going to give you the etymology of the word representation in a minute but I want to play a little game before we start that. I would like you, as a group, to guess the word I am thinking of. (laughs) So, this word comes from the old French word, meaning to bind, pledge, pawn, in the 12th century. The early 15th century meaning of this word is to pledge something as security for payment. In the 1640s, this meaning uh, of the word became to attract and occupy the attention of. And then uh, later in the 1640s, uh, from the notion of binding as a pledge, meaning to uh, actually enter into combat or contest from the 1640s. Then finally, oh no, before that, in the 1610s, the word meant promise to marry. Can anyone guess what it might be? No, but that has given me a bit of an insight into Mm. why you're not a history teacher. (laughs) (laughs) English is definitely the right choice for you. (laughs) Is it present? (laughs) Engage. Engage, yes. Wonderful. (laughs) We've had some very exciting news recently in our department. Um, So we would just like to give a shout out to our colleague, uh, Miss Benson, who uh, is engaged. So what, congratulations what? to Ooh, her. Thank you very much. <laughs> and now I'm bright red. Let's talk about literature so it's not about me anymore. <laughs> okay. Right. On to representation. So the noun of the action from the past participle stem of, let me see if I can get this right, representare, representare, okay, to show, exhibit, or display. Obviously, we were looking at the word represent here. Um, and now we're going to move on to representation. So from Latin, of of course, classic. Um, So my Latin isn't fantastic, but I just, (laughs) I'm going to have a go at pronouncing representationium. Sounded good to me. That's the best you're going to get, which means a bringing before one, uh, a showing or exhibiting. Okay. And then finally in the 14, 
uh, 150th century. Um, we come from Old French, which is pronounced representacunian. I've killed that, but <laughs> it's fine. Um, which means image, likeness, uh, symbolic, memorial. Okay, so there is the etymology of our word of the day, representations. Brilliant. So I think the interesting thing about that is particularly the focus we have on um, this likeness, symbolic memorial, particularly that memorial, I think is interesting um, because it pays homage, I think, to a certain demographic in a way, or it aims to, as the other definition focused on, to show or exhibit us something that might not be our own experience. Um, so I think to kind of go into that importance of representation, it helps us to kind of understand things that aren't our own and to understand experiences that we might not ourselves go through, whether they're particular to a certain demographic that's normally marginalised from mainstream media, language, literature, um, or if that's a more individual experience that's somehow shared through literature. I think it's important for us all to engage with it so that it makes us better humans at the end of the day, doesn't it, for us all to kind of understand what people around us are going through. Yeah, I think also, though, that's where it's kind of you get a really odd pull between because you are having this symbolic representation of a race agenda, which is like obviously millions of people, you it, it kind of boils it down and presents potentially misconstrues that. And if we think about like what Deborah said is our statement, that notion of are we actually reflecting a good picture of the human condition and of mm. humanity i think because as we tend to do in life whenever we use language we tend to stereotype we do the same in literature and these presentations particularly um your canonical presentations tend to slip i say tend because i've not read every single book in the history of the world so i'm sure there are some out there that contradict this but from the ones that i have read i think you get this slippage into actually instead of having a truthful or a reflective presentation you have this kind of almost caricature of the minority that they are trying to represent and i think it's um something that we're talking about at some point flab either earlier or in your notes that I obviously read and am now <laughs> stealing and passing off as my own ideas, um, that actually like that minority is in some stages the majority. Yeah. And so to actually have them in this kind of caricature way, I'm thinking Jane Eyre, the mm. man woman in the attic, and this sort of real dehumanized presentation of black women does an injustice. And so it's that kind of tension, I suppose, I'm waffling on, but that tension between wanting to represent humanity, but in boiling them down to something so minute, are we actually doing a disservice to the humanity we're trying to present? Mm -hmm. Just to quickly pick up on that, it's interesting that you use the word dehumanise, because it's one of the things I um, used to always do. Until I read this article by Johnson, he wrote it in 2018, where he argued that the word actually is still like misrepresenting people um, that apply that we apply it to, particularly because I think the quote he said he had was um, the idea that enslavement dehumanized enslaved people or any demographic suggests that their humanity needs to be proven again and again, that something humane was removed and needs to be regained, which I think is interesting because I had never thought of it that way until I read that. And 
it made me question it. So I was wondering what your thoughts were on that. Do we think dehumanization is a bit of a funny word to use these days? In my opinion, and it may be a bit controversial, amongst the world of academics, it's completely fine to rewrite words and pick different words. Mm. But for me, especially when I'm reaching out to wider audiences, I like to focus more on pragmatics rather than the denotations of words. Mm. That's because a word can connote certain ideals, but what do we interpret that word as? So for me, when I speak about dehumanizing something and I'm speaking to a large group of people, that's the word they can understand the best. So it's not always about what a word represents all the time it's what we understand it as dehumanization to you is a different story than it is Mm. to me that's my opinion though (laughs) my two pence i think it is interesting i think actually when you think about your a level course you don't use it you use um sides othering we do and that's that's the terminology that the post-colonial um theorists sort of latch on to and use though yeah, I think we're getting, it's potentially semantically different, though, mm. whether it actually has that much of a difference, as Deborah was saying, kind of, if it's that that is the thing that communicates, is it important, is, is the semantic difference important? I'm going to hand over to you, because I've already filled out my depth about semantics. But thinking back to your argument on how we characterise people, it made me think of what we learn about in child language acquisition, how children tend to overgeneralize. Mm-hmm. And I think it's actually an, an innate tendency for us to want to apply different functions, generalizations to different mm-hmm. things. So I have that innate ability to simplify a whole race and view them as a certain stereotype. Mm-hmm. And I think if we look at the language side of it, that is what a lot of newspapers do as well as the literature. They capitalize off our desire to simplify things, that reductionist view of the world, mm-hmm. and present certain groups and situations as one simple sentence that defines them. So I wonder what we think about that. Do you think that we it's not a choice of us to attribute certain stereotypes to groups? Do you think it's kind of natural? It's a way for us to simplify things? And is that just our limited attempt at trying to comprehend things we don't know by assigning stereotypes. I'm not saying stereotypes are bad, but I'm saying where do you think they stem from? Are they natural or are they like enforced by what we see in the media and what we read? I think it's a bit of both. I mean, I've spoken a lot, so I'm going to be quiet in a second. But I think that it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like we see that so much in the media that it becomes natural. And then because it's natural, the media utilizes that as a way of communicating with us because it works for what for what we're used to. It's kind of almost like a shorthand um, by means of communication. And so it's almost a kind of self-perpetuating cycle, I think. Yeah, and I think the interesting side of that as well is that certain people are always happy to accept stereotypes when it's about demographics that aren't their own. But when it comes to rejecting stereotypes that people apply to them it's a very different view and I think a lot of the time that attempt as you were saying Deborah isn't necessarily a genuine attempt I think a lot of the time it is it is trying to be acceptance or as you said oversimplification just so that our brains can comprehend all those different cultures out there but I don't know how good an attempt that is when it boils down to stereotypes I think it helps if you do research around the stereotypes but again that feels like a more personal an intimate relationship that we all nurture with the media, as opposed to the experience of an entire demographic. Um, but I do think it's it's interesting to consider that stereotypes have different effects when they when they're applied to us, and then 
how we apply them to other people. So based on that, I do think a huge part of it is what we do pick up from the media because it's not natural for certain stereotypes to be upheld. And I think it, I, there, there was this interesting um, TED talk um, that analyzed children and their behavior around certain around different demographics. And that idea of discriminating or not being inclusive of someone doesn't stem from childhood. It's not something intrinsic in us for us to be divisive. Um, like on a playground, children will never just play with people that have the same skin color as them because they don't see that as an issue. It's only once we go into the higher world of adulthood, adolescence, that we start interacting with the media or literature or language, whatever it is. And then that's when the stereotypes kind of become imposed on our way of thinking. And that's when we start adopting them. So I don't think it's necessarily a natural thing for us to be doing, but the media definitely exploits the human need to simplify things a bit sometimes. I think as well, though, what the media does, which is quite interesting, is is not it doesn't necessarily do that purely through its stereotypes. Mm. It others through a lack of agency. And I think, I mean, I've given you two and far more children than I dare to think about <laughs> the lecture about the use of the passive voice yeah. um, when talking about crimes against women. And then 2014, there was a Twitter account set up called Name the Agent. And it was all about this idea that actually the media, um, be that news, print, whatever, when you're talking about attacks on women, it's not man attacked woman in the park. It is woman attacked in park whilst walking dog mm. that's the headline and it's like the the man the perpetrator is completely removed and so the woman is inherently almost seen as to blame because she is the only active agent even though she is just there passively being attacked yeah. and I think it reminded me as well you know to be a little bit more current um of a lot of the articles that were about written about sarah everard but then mm. a lot of the stuff that happened in the black lives matter movement with the um brianna taylor the say the say her name statement mm. that idea of actually by silencing you other by putting in the passive you other and these headlines which are there to i don't know cause a stir to, to focus on the action maybe is the way that they would defend it or if you're being critical which you know love to be <laughs> to excuse the actual act or to excuse the perpetrator themselves in doing so it places blame in a way that maybe isn't deliberate but is potentially what's taken away from it and if you look at a lot of the stuff about um that kicked up after sarah everard it was oh well women shouldn't be walking home alone late there should be yeah. a curfew on women but she did nothing wrong and that comes from that idea of actually when you read all of the paper articles at the time the headlines didn't have a man to blame they didn't have a person to blame and so it seemed like the person in the headline the woman was at fault and i think it's really interesting that representation and that, that represents representation, particularly of women, as almost because they are vulnerable, because they're female, because they're walking, they are in some way in the wrong and therefore they are the ones that need to change their behaviour. I seriously agree with you. It's one thing I'm really passionate about 
the implicit meanings of the language we use. Mm. And that's why for a long time I hated the news because I didn't like the way they phrase things. People don't understand that just because something isn't explicit, it doesn't mean it's not having an effect on your subconscious. Yeah. And I started to realize that the things I was reading, I was internalizing. And it got to a point where even if you look at graphology from an English language perspective, the whole colorism debate, that I thought that in certain positions of power, I'm not going to see dark-skinned women there because I had internalized the implicit meanings behind headlines and the photos and everything. And what I was consuming in terms of what I was reading and the headlines I was listening to, the news I was listening to, I didn't realise that it had an effect on the way I thought. And that's a problem. You can never address an issue if you don't acknowledge the issue. And people don't want to acknowledge the fact that the media and language content they consume is having a deeper effect on them. And yeah, the greatest step to social changes would be changing the way we relay information because we love to yeah. consume information through the news, but the news isn't presenting it in a format that isn't, biased and doesn't protect people who need to be named as you spoke about mm, but i think at the same time that the news medias who do that i think to a certain level exploit the blame that we want to escape as as people so um there's a whole debate around the word diversity for example as that being intrinsically passive just because it represents a diversity of people within a certain community or space, but it's just the existence of diversity. It's not necessarily them being included, which is why there's a new shift towards inclusivity as a focus, because that connotes that we're actively trying to include those cultures and that wide spectrum of experience, as opposed to merely accepting that they're there and there is a spectrum. But I think because we focus so much on diversity as opposed to inclusivity a lot of the time, we're almost doing that so as to save ourselves the work that goes into including experiences. And I do think it's a what, like, very like research-based project because you can't understand all the cultures and you might have friends who have those certain experiences and you can talk to them about it, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's representative of the whole demographic. So I think to gain like a more holistic and eclectic view of culture or inclusivity, it does take a lot of work, um, which is potentially why I think newspapers a lot of the time do have that passive voice because when readers interact with it it removes the need for us potentially to feel as though oh yep that's my fault I should be doing something about that or I should be going out and changing my behavior or reanalyzing how I'm doing things so I think that's also an interesting point of view to look at it from thinking about your um what you just said about inclusivity I think that links back to circle background to literature for a hot second um to this this need to rewrite that canon and it there was a whole movement of like writing back with people from different demographic demographics taking charge and you had um white tug soc coming from jane Eyre and that idea of actually well let's not just categorize her as a mad woman in an attic who burns a house down maybe she had her reasons yeah and i mean based on Rochester, she probably did. I'm not sure I would have done anything other than burn the house down either. So I, I have sympathy for her. But I think that that is important. And it's really important that we see more voices coming through because until you have the representation, until you have the inclusivity of voices and authors' voices, you're never going to have that inclusivity of like everybody's cultures. And the inclusion, for the first time, it was... 
now longer ago than I care to admit because it's lockdown, you know, skewed life. But two years ago, three years ago, where we had um, Girl, Other Woman and um, Testament winning the Booker Prize. Mm. It's the first time ever that two people have been given it. Two women, a woman of colour for the first time that I can remember. And you kind of are seeing that shift in sort of where literature is being promoted and how literature is being promoted and a sort of actually where it's being created as well, which I think is kind of rewriting or reforming this notion of what literature is, what the canon is, what we should be reading. No longer is it, you know, unless it was written pre-1800s, it doesn't have any literary merit. And we're kind of getting a bit more of a wider sense, which I think is really important. And I think it's really, really clear for me in the shift between what we study at literature for GCSE versus the text that we get to explore with you at A-level. And I think that's really important. I seriously agree with you on that. So as we were talking about literature reflecting the human experience, as you've both spoken about, it's very important to have not only diversity, but also inclusivity, trying to include other cultures in our literary works and what we read so that when people read and internalize things they're not just looking at one point of view of life they're looking at various points of view and it's not so much about just having characters there it's about really narrating and exploring their experience because we want to give people a realistic view of the world i always say that fiction is the way to change people's opinions because you give them a perspective which they can relate to through the narrator's account of their life or whatever situations they're going through so if anybody really wants to increase the awareness of different issues amongst their peer groups or social circles i would really recommend giving them a book because the language really is the way to changing people's perspectives and reflecting the human experience thank you so much for tuning into this podcast episode we will be bringing out new episodes frequently and i hope you really enjoyed it don't forget to share and give us a follow and yeah hope to hear from you guys if you have any questions and yeah bye